We're in Genesis chapter 45, verses 16 to 28. <clears throat> so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. We're continuing the story of Joseph, aren't we? And his brothers, and so <clears throat> I have entitled this The Goodness of God, and we're going to see, um, again, some forgiveness, some confession that takes place here. So when the when the Kuwaru warriors of Papua New Guinea were about to launch any risky activity that required close cooperation, like going into battle, <clears throat> they first took time to set themselves right. Not only overt actions, but even hidden feelings had to be revealed. The Kuwaru men <clears throat> would go to a secluded spot in the jungle, kill and roast pigs, and they would share, and as they shared the meal, confess to each other the items they had stolen and the animals they had mistreated. But there was still more on the agenda. The Kuwaru believed that feelings such as anger or jealousy would sap their strength and cause them to be wounded or even killed. Only through confession could these pent-up negative emotions be neutralized. And so the Kuwaru understand an important truth. Only by facing our faults, misdeeds, and hateful or jealous thoughts can we be made whole again. Only then can they and we be at full strength and ready to face a marauding tribe or the kids at home. <laughs> you know, as I think about confession, uh, Tuesday evening um, at Revival on the Farm, Pastor Mark Otsby was sharing, and he just, at the end of the, the message time, he guided us in several prayers to the Lord, confessing how we have grieved the Holy Spirit. So there's this time of just individual confession where we were just doing it out of the quietness of our hearts. And after we spent that time alone with the Lord, he encouraged men to find other men and women to find other women and confess one of the sins that we prayed about to that individual. That takes a lot of guts, doesn't it? To do that, find somebody you don't know and you're confessing those things. But after confessing, uh, the other person would then say, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. And then they would pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit in that person's life. And it was just an incredibly beautiful exercise. If we just saw, you know, over 200 people just, right around, yeah, right around 200 people, just confessing to one another and then praying this healing over one another. James chapter 5, verse 16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So perhaps every one of us has experienced forgiveness when we have confessed our sins to those that we've hurt, lied to, cheated, or something else that we've done. How many of us have experienced God's goodness after confessing and receiving forgiveness? We're going to talk more about that as we get to the conclusion this morning. Last week, we learned that Joseph finally revealed himself to his brothers. Pharaoh hears about Joseph's brothers and offers them the best of Egypt that Egypt has to offer, as well as provisions and resources to relocate them to Egypt. Joseph's brothers experienced the goodness of God through Pharaoh and Joseph after they confessed their wrongdoing and received forgiveness. And this is our big idea for today, and it's that we can experience the goodness of God when we confess and seek forgiveness. I hope that you've experienced that. <clears throat> the goodness of God as you have repented, as you've confessed and sought forgiveness. Let's just commit this to the Lord in prayer today.
Lord, we bow before you in humility because you are God Almighty. We thank you that we can just look into your word and that we can be encouraged and strengthened by the principles that we find there. Lord, we can be challenged through that as well to confession, repentance, forgiveness, and then the experience of your goodness. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak today through your servant, that, Lord God, your people would hear your voice today. They might be transformed by your holy word. So we commit ourselves to you now. I pray, Lord God, that you would open our ears and our eyes to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to see two things today. Joseph's brothers are first going to be in Egypt. That's verses 16 to 24. And then verses 25 uh, to 28, they're going to be in Canaan. And so that's kind of our, our two sections today that we're going to be looking at. And so we see the reaction of Pharaoh and his officials as we start here in Egypt in verse 16. So again, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there, and let's look at verse 16 together. This is what God's Word says. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. So Pharaoh and his officials are pleased that Joseph's brothers have come. Now, obviously, the attendants that Joseph had asked to leave, if you look back in verse 1 of chapter 45, you know, he's just overcome uh, with emotion, so he asks all these attendants to leave before he reveals himself to his brothers. They're aware of what happened or what had transpired, and subsequently they told Pharaoh. Maybe they were just listening. They're eavesdropping outside the door, like, what's going on? And so they figured out what, that the men that Joseph had been courting with this incredible banquet were his brothers. And so they go and they share it with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh and his officials were pleased to hear about Joseph's family coming. Now the word, the Hebrew word for were pleased can be translated literally as it was good in the eyes of. So it was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and his officials that Joseph's brothers had come. Wolke says Pharaoh and his courtiers favor Joseph's family because they look upon Joseph with favor. Now, why were they looking upon Joseph with favor? Well, if you just remember, Joseph was able to to, um, interpret Pharaoh's dream by the power of God. God gave him that ability to understand Pharaoh's dream. Then he suggests to Pharaoh, right, this course of action because they're going to have seven years of abundance and seven years of famine. And so all of that's taking place. We see that in chapter 41, verses 1 to 40. Then they put Joseph in charge of the plan because they thought no one else is as wise as Joseph. So we're going to put him in charge, and he executes the plan perfectly, saving not only all Egypt but also the surrounding countries. And we see that in the second half of chapter 41, verses 41 to 57. So it's no wonder that the news about Joseph's brother's coming was good in their eyes. They thought, this is a good thing. All they knew about Joseph's family is what they had experienced with him, and it had been very positive, hadn't it? They're like, all we know about Joseph and his family is like, what Joseph like, can interpret dreams. He, he has given, God gave him this incredible plan, and as we've executed plan, it's been, we've saved lives. And so that's all they know, and they, they probably assumed that the rest of his brothers had the same kind of character as him. And we see that they have started that process, right? 22 years of dealing with this lie that they've been 
keeping from their father. 22 years of having the guilt of selling Joseph into slavery. And God's been working in their hearts and in their minds. We're going to see that in just a moment. Hopefully, others view our family the same way because of the kind of character that we exhibit. I hope that's the, the true for you today. I hope people look at your family name and go, that, that family, wow. They follow the Lord, or they're hard workers, or they're this or that. Pharaoh gave Joseph two directives for his brothers, and through this, we see Pharaoh's generosity. Look at verses 17 to 20, if you would. This is what God's word says again. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You were also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. Pretty incredible. So we see two directives here and two promises. First, the first directive with the promise is this. The responsibility that Joseph's brothers have is to load your animals. They were to load their animals. Obviously, Joseph's brothers had brought their own donkeys to carry back more grain for their households. That's why they came the second time to Egypt, remember? They had to come back for more grain. They had loaded them down with the best products of the land of Canaan before they returned to Egypt with balm and honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds as a gift to Pharaoh because what? They had found in their bags all their silver, right? So they're like, we're going to take some good stuff back to Pharaoh. So then um, Joseph, if you remember, uh, they come that second time. They come before him. He loads up all of their uh, sacks again with grain, and he sends them on their way. But just before they get outside of the city, uh, Joseph says to his attendant, he says to his steward, he says, go and get them and bring them back because one of them has taken my silver chalice, my silver cup. So they go, and they're like, what's going on? And they find the silver chalice in Benjamin's bag, and, and they bring them all back. So they haven't even made it home yet with all those sacks full of grain. So they are supposed to load those sacks back onto their donkey and prepare to head back to Canaan. That's the second part of their responsibilities. They needed to return to Canaan. And then the third, they needed to bring their father and their families back to, to Pharaoh. And then we see Pharaoh's promise here. It's kind of twofold. He says, I'll give you the best of the land of Egypt. Now, Joseph had probably had in mind where he wanted them to settle. He already had, he knew the best part of Egypt and where it was going to be. As shepherds, they would need plenty of pasture lands. Joseph had already chosen Goshen at that, as the best place for his family to settle. There was going to be plenty of pasture land. They were going to be away from the Egyptians. And we'll see all of this unfold in the coming weeks. The second promise, he says, you can enjoy the fat of the land. The Hebrew word for enjoy actually means to eat. So they were going to be able to eat the fat of the land. And so the fat of the land is just referring to the finest products of the land, of the harvest time. They're going to be enjoying the finest food of the land. When I was growing up in Alabama, my parents befriended um, a couple uh, that had emigrated from uh, Europe. And he was a classically trained chef, and he was opening a restaurant in Birmingham. And so our family was invited to this like pre-opening uh, you know, uh, meal that he was going to have. And so this like grand opening kind of a meal. And that was probably the first time that I had ever eaten high-quality, fine food, right? Before that, I hadn't really had any of that. And the one thing that I remember most is that 
I ate asparagus, and I liked it. That was the first time I'd eaten asparagus, asparagus before that and didn't like it, but the way he prepared it was incredible, right? All the other times I'd eaten it, I was like, oh, I don't think so. No, asparagus isn't for me. I love asparagus today, by the way. But the way he prepared it, I was like, as a teenager, I was like, this is amazing. He made this stalk just come to life, right? It was beautiful. And, it was just, and so I, I had got to experience fine foods. And what an incredible promise from Pharaoh. They were going to experience the fine foods. They were going to have the best pasture lands. But Pharaoh had a second directive with a promise. Again, this directive required them to do some things. They had some responsibility. They had to take the carts from Egypt for their children and wives. <clears throat> they were to get their father and come back to Egypt. And then he says, don't worry about your belongings. We're going to take care of that for you. <clears throat> so the best of Egypt will be yours. Joseph and his sons, or Jacob and his sons, were not uh, only going to have the best pasture lands uh, for their flocks and herds and the finest food to eat from the harvest there in Egypt, but also whatever belongings they needed would be provided by Pharaoh. That's pretty cool. I don't know if, well, I guess Judy and I did experience this. I was trying to remember if there was a, um, an, an example of that for our lives. But um, have you ever experienced getting to live in a fully furnished apartment or house, right? That's pretty neat. You don't need any of your belongings. I mean, well, other than your clothes and things like that. But like uh, right, before Wade, uh, right after Wade was born, before we moved from Florida to Ohio, we uh, were offered this uh, condo that was fully furnished because everything we had was already packed up and it was, it was gone. So we were there for about three weeks. And, and so anyhow, we experienced that. We had this fully furnished uh, condo that we got to live in uh, while uh, we waited for the three weeks to be able to travel with Wade. And so it's, it's like that. Pharaoh was just saying, you don't need to worry about anything. We're going to get you a fully furnished tent. Everything you would ever need is going to be in there. And just leave your belongings in Canaan. You don't have to worry about it. They were going to experience the goodness of God through the generosity of Pharaoh. And I'm certain that Joseph's brothers were grateful that they were related to him at this point, don't you think? They hated him before this time. He's, oh, he's just a spoiled brat, right? <clears throat> and our father's given him that special code, and man, that makes us so angry. Now he's put him in charge of us, and that makes us more angry. But now they're like, whoo, thank you, Joseph. <laughs> right? They were experiencing the goodness of God. How many stories have we heard about long-lost family members who finally found their relative who recently won the lottery? Right? Like, hey, cousin, how you doing? They just miraculously find you. You got all this money now. We see that with, uh, with athletes, right? When they make it to the highest level, they take care of their family. They, like, buy them homes and vehicles. We see it in entertainment as well. In, in that industry, when people make it big, you know, they're taking care of family. And so those family members are probably grateful to be related to those athletes and celebrities and entertainers. And that's probably how Joseph's brothers felt at this point. They were experiencing the goodness of God because of Joseph. <clears throat> but they weren't going to experience it unless there was some change that had taken place. Because we can experience the goodness of God when we confess and seek forgiveness. That's what Joseph was waiting on. 
The only reason Joseph revealed himself to his brothers is because he had tested them and saw that they had changed. They were repentant. They were sorrowful for how they had treated Joseph, for what they had done. They recognized that God's hand was heavy upon them because they had sold him into slavery. They thought he was dead. They didn't know where he was. <clears throat> Just imagine had they not been repentant. Joseph perhaps not, would not have revealed himself to them. But they were repentant for what they had done to him. Judah had confessed that God had uncovered their guilt, as we saw in Genesis 44, verse 16. So our first principle today is this. God forgives us and extends his goodness to us even though we have sinned. They had sinned, right? But then they repented of it. They confessed it. They received forgiveness. This is exactly what Joseph's brothers were experiencing. Joseph had forgiven them. God had forgiven them. Now they were going to be taken care of royally. Yes, that's a play on words. Until the severe famine ended. Another five years was going to pass before the famine was done. But they were going to be taken care of. We can experience God's goodness when we confess our sins and accept his forgiveness. Now, the goodness of God looks different for each person. When we look in here at what happened to Joseph's brothers, it's not universal. It was for them. We may not be given the best pasture lands, the finest food, or have all of our belongings provided for us, but instead we may experience some of these things. We may experience God's goodness through restored relationships. Because what happens when we repent and confess and ask for forgiveness? Relationships are restored. You know, our health could be waning right now because we're stressed out about that relationship that's strained, right? And when we take care of that, when we confess it, when we repent of it, that stress begins to just shed. And we can begin to experience good health again. You know, maybe... We, we experience restored uh, occupation or a job, restored scholarship opportunities, or just other opportunities in general. Whatever it is for you, I don't know what it'll be for you. But when we repent, when we confess and seek forgiveness, then we can experience the goodness of God. Sometimes we struggle with accepting God's forgiveness or the forgiveness of others, but don't let Satan have the victory in that. Don't let him have that victory. 1 John 1, 9 tells us this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Children from Sunday school, do you remember that verse today? Yeah, you were learning that one. Here's our first next step today. Maybe you're ready to take this one and that's to accept God's forgiveness so I can experience his goodness. Are you ready for that today? Are you ready to experience God's goodness? Maybe there's something that you need to confess and accept his forgiveness for. Pharaoh was very generous, but Joseph was also. Verses 21 to 23, we see Joseph's generosity. Look at those verses with me if you would. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, 10 donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, the ten, and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. So what we see here is Joseph's generosity. 
Joseph did as Pharaoh had directed him to do. He gave them the carts, like Pharaoh had said. He gave them provisions for their journey. But then Joseph added uh, to what Pharaoh had directed him to do. He gave each of his brothers a set of new clothing. Now, this is an everyday wear. He wasn't giving them just a new uh, cloak or a tunic or anything. Like that. No, this was festival wear. These were nice dress clothes to be worn on special occasions. So it was probably, it probably cost a lot of money. These weren't just regular things. Um, <clears throat> Wearsby says this, The brothers had taken Joseph's robe from him when they sold him to the merchants, but he gave, them, he gave each of them new clothes to wear. In Scripture, a change of clothes is often the sign of a new beginning. And this was certainly a new beginning for Jacob's 11 sons. And so he gave Benjamin five sets of festival clothing and 300 shekels of silver. Now this is reminiscent of how Joseph treated Benjamin at the banquet where he gave him five times the amount of food. He's showing favor again to Benjamin. He continues to do that. And then the 300 shekels of silver would be about seven and a half pounds of silver. So just to help you understand how much seven and a half pounds would it be, I looked up a couple of things on uh, weightofthing.com that are around seven pounds, okay? This is just to help reference you today. Uh, a Persian cat. I had no idea. A Persian cat's about seven pounds. A 24... <laughs> I know, now I do. Oh, man. A 24-inch LED monitor. A big-sized melon. I don't know how you figure out which one's a big one. Cordless drills. Ladies, for you that are bakers, three bags of sugar or three liters of vegetable oil. For my musicians, a Telecaster guitar. It's about seven pounds. For those of you that work with your hands, a small sledgehammer. For those of you who are animal lovers, again, a Pomeranian dog. Or again, our workers, electric hand planer. Those are what is about seven, seven and a half pounds. To help you understand, he got quite a bit of silver. So the narrator does not indicate that his that this favoritism of Benjamin caused his brothers to fall back into anger, jealousy, and rage. Perhaps they're just grateful for God's goodness to them through Pharaoh and Joseph. They're not even seeing all this other stuff that's going on. They had changed and grown since they sold Joseph into slavery. And Walk, he says, the brothers had learned the lesson of sovereign grace and are now above petty jealousy. Even after Joseph gave Benjamin five times as much food, they were still willing to be enslaved for him. There is a change that had taken place in their hearts and in their minds. And while Joseph gave them uh, some gifts to his brothers, he also prepared some items for his father. As we see, he gives them ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt. We're not told what these things are, what these items are, but we can assume it's probably not food since the ten female donkeys are carrying those items. They're carrying, uh, they're loaded down with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Now, this was not, these were 20 donkeys in addition to the donkeys that uh, uh, Jacob's sons had brought with them. The food being carried by these donkeys, these 12 female donkeys, was to be used for their journey back to Egypt. <clears throat> The grain that each of the brothers' donkeys were carrying would have been for their trip to Canaan and for food while they were preparing to move. But this other food that came on these 10 female donkeys was for their trip back to Egypt. So Jacob was receiving 20 donkeys, some of the best things of Egypt, and grain, bread, and other provisions. 
And Joseph added one more thing above and beyond Pharaoh's directives. He gives his brothers a warning as they travel back to Canaan. Look at verse 24. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Don't quarrel on the way. He told his brothers not to quarrel on the trip. The Hebrew term for quarrel does not mean that anywhere else in Scripture. It literally means do not get excited or do not get worked up or agitated. It can refer to being angry, excited, fearful, anxious, joyful, or sad. So why did Joseph give them this warning? What could they possibly get excited, worked up, or agitated about since they have just experienced the goodness of God through Pharaoh and Joseph? Well, Joseph doesn't want them to rehash their crime of selling him into slavery. He had forgiven them, so they should extend forgiveness to each other. We see that in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. This is what God's Word says. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. <clears throat> be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But then... I should say, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant then fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back, until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you, each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Joseph had forgiven his brothers from the heart. And so he's telling them, don't quarrel amongst yourselves. Wearsby says the matter had been settled once and for all, and there was no need to discuss it or to try to fix the blame or measure the guilt. Psalm chapter 133, verse 1 says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. He wanted them to be unified. And so Jacob's sons were going to have to uh, have some explaining to do when they told their father about Joseph being alive. So maybe he was kind of heading that off. Our second principle today is this, that forgiveness eliminates the need for blame and guilt. Joseph wanted his brothers to forgive each other and themselves. If you look back in chapter 45 of Genesis, uh, starting at verse 5 to the first part of verse 8, we see these words. And now, do not be distressed and do not uh, be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will, be, there will not be uh, plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for 
a, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. See, Joseph had totally forgiven his brothers from the heart. And so maybe uh, this uh, second principle will help you today. For, uh, as I said, forgiveness eliminates the need for blame and guilt. Since Joseph had forgiven them, they didn't, they didn't need to point the finger at each other or feel guilty themselves. Neither of these are easy to do, though, are they? When we know we have to come clean about something that we did wrong, it's natural in our humanness to place blame on someone or something else so that we can save face. Right? That's not easy to do. Satan does, does an excellent job of reminding us of our past sins and of our habitual sins. But I love that old adage. You probably are familiar with it. that says, when Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Right? As followers of Jesus Christ, Satan has no power over us. When we confess our sins, God removes them. Listen to what the psalmist says in uh, chapter 103, verses 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. If you're heading east, will you ever reach west? If you're heading west, will you ever hit east? That's the whole concept. Like you're never going to reach west if you're heading east all the time. That, that's what God does with our transgressions. When we confess and seek forgiveness, that's what God does for us. He removes those transgressions, those sins from our lives. So when we confess and seek forgiveness, then we can experience the goodness of God. And maybe you're ready for the second step today, and that's to embrace the forgiveness extended to me so I can forgive others and myself. After receiving the directives from Pharaoh and the warning from Joseph, the brothers left Egypt and headed for Canaan. Our second point today is in Canaan. And verse 25 talks about their arrival. Look at that verse with me. So they went up from out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. So they traveled home and, and met their father. And I'm sure that Jacob was probably doing this. He's counting heads, right? Are they all there? Is Benjamin there? Is Simeon there? Simeon had been in prison since they had gone back to Canaan and then back to Egypt. He's counting heads to make sure that they're all there. It's likely that Jacob's son shared more details uh, than what were given in this text. And perhaps what led to their announcement and confession about Joseph was the extra donkeys and carts that Jacob saw when they arrived. He's like, well, what's this all about? Well, we have some confessions to make, Dad. We see that in verse 26. This is, again, what God's Word says. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. Kind of like Thomas. Didn't believe that Jesus was alive, right? And so they shared that Joseph was alive and was ruler of all Egypt. Jacob struggled to believe what he was hearing because he had been mourning for Joseph 22 years. And they had shown him and given him proof, right? Proof. <laughs> that he had been devoured by a wild animal. They bring back this 
coat of many colors, right? The special coat with blood all over it. And, and so they had deceived him then. And, of course, Jacob realized that his sons had lied to him. They had broken trust with him by keeping up this false pretense for so many years. Golden Gay says, But whereas he believed his sons when they were lying, chapter 37, he can't believe them when they're telling the truth. Golden Gay goes on and says, Look at what happens to a liar. Even when he tells the truth, people do not believe him. So the third principle today is this, is that lying breaks trust. Not lying is one of the Ten Commandments, right? It says don't lie. And I would venture to guess that every one of us has lied at some point in our lives. And just a little heads up, there are no levels of lies. There's not big lies and small lies. There's not white lies and black lies. It's all lies. If you've ever been lied to, you know how hard it is to believe that person the next time that they tell you something. The question just lingers on the back of your mind, doesn't it? Are they being telling the truth? Are they being truthful with me? And it takes a long time to rebuild trust once it's broken. But you can start that today. You can start that today. That's our third next step. And that's always speak the truth. Don't lie. Be truthful. So Jacob was stunned. It can also be translated that he grew cold or grew numb. How many of us have experienced that feeling when we have heard bad news or news that's hard to believe? I don't know about you, but when 9-11 happened, I was numb. There's no way. Two, two jets flew into the World Trade Centers? That, that's insane. What? How could that possibly happen, right? We don't have any idea. How could this possibly happen? One, that's maybe human error. But two, man, I was just numb. Some of us have experienced that when we hear the news of a loved one that's passed away. We're never ready to hear that news. We're never ready to get that call. We just become numb. Others of us have experienced that when hearing a diagnosis about an illness, right? The doctor says the C word. I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And we just sit there numb. Maybe it takes us a, a couple of days or a couple of weeks to kind of let that process and sink in before we go, okay, God's in control. I can trust him. He'll take care of me. All of us have probably experienced that at some time in our life. Jacob did not remain in that state for very long, though. He is revived. Look at verses 27 and 28. This is what God's Word says. But when they told him everything, Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And so he's revived. Our fourth principle today is this, confession promotes healing. Jacob's healing seemed to come pretty quickly. His spirit was revived after he heard everything Joseph had, was promising them and saw the carts he had sent to bring them to Egypt. The same is true for us. When we confess our sins, it promotes healing. Like I said, it might take a long time to rebuild that trust. And unfortunately, healing doesn't always take place because other, the other person has to be willing to forgive 
and move forward. If they don't, there's nothing you can do about it. But guess what? Our job is not to bring healing, but to confess. We simply have to do our part. It's up to that other person to decide what they're going to do. Healing may take years as we remain truthful and honest. And so the fourth next step might be for you today, and that's to help promote healing by confessing to those I have lied to or hurt and ask for forgiveness. Maybe that's the step you need to take today. Think about those relationships that are strained right now. Are you going to take that step? So Israel is convinced. The narrator uses Jacob's new name, Israel, because that, represent, that name represents strength and leadership. He's going to lead his family to Egypt to see Joseph before he dies. He's going to uh, also lead his family in forgiveness. Israel experienced the goodness and mercy of God. Golden Gay says his life has been dominated by grief for years, but as he gets uh, nearer the end of life, he finds relief not because he grows out of grief, but because God has mercy. Isn't that wonderful? It's not because he got used to grief. He still missed Joseph. But God's mercy allowed him to see him before he died. We can experience the goodness of God when we confess and seek forgiveness. So as we review, just a couple of things. Are you ready to accept God's forgiveness so you can experience his goodness? Are you ready to embrace the forgiveness extended to you so you can forgive others and yourself? Are you ready to abandon lying and speak the truth at all times? Are you ready to promote healing by confessing your sins and asking for forgiveness? You know, we can experience God's goodness as a body of believers when we accept his forgiveness corporately. We can forgive others and ourselves because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We must always speak the truth as the body of Christ, and we need to promote healing. Max Locato shares this story that I want to close with today. Ever since my high school buddy and I drank ourselves sick with a case of quartz, I have liked beer. Out of the keg, tap, bottle, or frosty mug, it doesn't matter to me. I like it. But I also know that alcoholism haunts my family ancestry. I have early memories of following my father through the halls of a rehab center to see his sister. Similar scenes repeated themselves with other relatives for decades. Beer doesn't mix well with my family DNA. So at the age of 21, I swore off it. Then a few years back, something uh, resurrected my cravings. At some point, I reached out for a can of brew instead of a can of soda, and as quick as you can pop the top, I was a beer fan again. A once in a while, then once a week, then once a day beer fan. I kept my preference to myself. No beer at home, lest my daughters think less of me. No beer in public. Who knows who might see me? Not, none at home, none in public leaves only one option, convenience store parking lots. For about a week, I was that guy in the car drinking out of the brown paper bag. No, I don't know what resurrected my cravings, but I remember what stunted them. En route to speak at a men's retreat, I stopped for my daily purchase. I walked out of the convenience store with a beer pressed against my side, scurried to my car for fear of being seen, opened the door, climbed in, and opened the can. Then it dawned on me. I had become the very thing I hate, a hypocrite, a pretender, two-faced, acting one way, living another. 
I had written sermons about people like me, Christians who care more about appearance than integrity. It wasn't the beer, uh, but the cover-up that nauseated me. So what happened with my hypocrisy? First, I threw the can of beer in the trash. Then I, next, I sat in, in the car for a long time praying. Then I s- scheduled a visit with our church elders. I didn't embellish or downplay my actions. I just confessed them. And they, in turn, pr- pr- pronounced forgiveness over me. Jim Potts, a dear silver-haired saint, reached across the table and put his hand on my shoulder and said something like this. What you did was wrong. But what you were doing tonight is right. God's love is great enough to cover your sin. Trust his grace. After talking to the elders, I spoke to the church. At our midweek gathering, I once again told the story. I apologized for my duplicity and requested the prayers of the congregation. What followed was a refreshing hour of confession in which other people did the same. The church was strengthened, not weakened, by our honesty. You see, we can experience the goodness of God when we confess and seek forgiveness. Max Locato experienced that. Jacob's brothers experienced that. I'm sorry, not Jacob's, for Joseph's, Joseph's brothers, Jacob's sons. They experienced that as well, didn't they? Because they were willing to take that step to confess they're wrong. And so I trust that you will take that step today as well so that you can experience the goodness of God. And so as we just let that sink in, with the, would you bow your heads with me as the ushers come to take up the tithes and offerings and the communication cards? and as the worship team comes to lead us in the closing songs. Lord, we just come to you today. We're grateful. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the challenge that we see in it today. We're so grateful for your goodness, God. And that we can experience that when we confess and seek forgiveness. Pray that you would move by your Holy Spirit in the hearts and minds of your people today. That they would take that step. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.